0: Have you ever received some bad counsel? Sure, we've all been there. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor to add to that. The counsel of man isn't always
1: accurate. Even if it sounds right, we just need to stay open to the Holy Spirit. Pastors can be wrong, men of God can be wrong, godly women can be wrong. We're just men, we're just women, we're not perfect. We could get caught up in the moment. We can lean on our own understanding. We could be wrong. We're all fallible. Do you realize how fallible you are? Well, we're all fallible. We make mistakes.
0: This is messing grace. This is fake. sometimes says no and when he does we often wonder why well one answer is that it's not a good idea and another is the motive is bad but what about when God says no to a good idea born out of a good motive welcome to abounding grace in addition to being our teacher on the program ed taylor is the pastor of calvary chapel aurora we're very glad to have you in our listening family as we continue our series in second samuel Today, we find God saying no to David's desire to build a house for the Lord. Find your place in 2 Samuel chapter 7 as we turn things over to Pastor Ed. Chapter 7, where we left off with much excitement in Jerusalem
1: as the Ark of the Covenant has returned, David first tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant back the wrong way. He was trying to do the right thing the wrong way. And he learned the hard way, the pain that comes from sinful decisions. His own servant died as a result. His own servant doing what he was asked to do, doing it the way he was asked to do it. And for a little bit of time, it seemed as if that was the right way until the ark began to teeter. He stuck his hand up on it and in disobedience to God, received the judgment of God for touching the ark. And now as we come to chapter 7, there is a time of peace in the life of David, his new founded kingdom. Now some believe chapter 7 isn't in chronological order. Others believe it is. I tend to lean toward, I see the chronology in it. I see the peace that comes after the blessing of the Ark of the Covenant. But whichever way you fall in chapter 7, notice in verse 1, it came to pass that when the king was dwelling in his house... And the Lord had given him rest all from all his enemies all around. That the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now I have to say, David is in a time of peace. And in my life, and I'm sure you found it to be true in your life as well, times of peace are really good, aren't they? (laughs) It's just like, man, Lord. I love times of peace. I love times when there isn't any drama going on or you just can enjoy the peacefulness because you're in a spiritual battle perhaps and and there's no peace in spiritual battles in that sense where there's always something going on. And then you get through it and then there's that time of peace and you have to enjoy that time of peace. Why? Because you know right up ahead there's going to be another battle. There's going to be another skirmish and times of peace are good. So much of our lives are filled with warfare, filled with tension, filled with difficulty, filled with stress, filled with pressure. If you just took those words and applied them to your day-to-day, many of them were woven in and out of your day today, just the way the world system is, the things that are going on at work maybe, or some family things that might be happening, difficulties or you know it's all what we call life. And peace is also a time of life. And times of peace are really good. Can you imagine a kingdom without war? A kingdom when they're not having to worry about being attacked. And that's where David is now as king. Peace, no doubt, was both rare and treasured for kings as well as rare and treasured for us. David is a great example of how he used his time of peace. The, the tendency is when there's a time of peace, we might let our guards down a little bit. We might begin to enjoy it a little more. Uh, We might begin to, to rest on our laurels. But during this season of rest, we see David thinking over things pertaining to the things of God. He's thinking on things of God. In his time of rest, he's thinking, you know, look at my house. I'm so blessed. A cedar would represent opulence. It would represent value. You know, he had a palace. He had a house. He's sitting there looking at his house and just thanking God for it. And somehow, in relationship to what he's living in, he sees then the Ark of the Covenant in a tent structure that he built for it, a covering to protect it, but it wasn't as nice as his house. And as he's comparing how God has blessed him and what a great place he's in, and he sees, as he's meditating on these spiritual things, and he sees the Ark of the Covenant in a place, he thinks, you know, I wanna do something better for God than what God has done for me. I mean, what a response. What a response to the love of God. You know, that heart that you have to give and to be encouraged, you know, to, you hear a missionary, you go, I just want to bless them. Or, or you, you see a need, you just want to fill it. It comes in response so often. I mean, look what God has done to me. I may not have much. I may not have more than this person, but I have something. And what I have, I want to honor God with what he's allowed. I, I want to bless him more than he's blessed me. And I would just say this. Your spare time, your times of rest, they reveal a lot about you by how you use them. What do you do in your spare time? How is your spare time spent? Because with your spare time and with my spare time, the time that we have that's for ourselves, the times that we might consider to be peaceful, we can either invest our time or we can waste our time. Isn't that true? Haven't I mean, you found that to be true, that there have just been times you look back and you I just wasted my time. Just passing time. You see, not only was he thinking of spiritual things, but he was also hanging out with a spiritual man, Nathan. He was thinking about spiritual things. How can I bless God? How can I take care of the Ark of the Covenant unto the Lord? How can I bless God in response to everything that God has done for me? But he's also hanging out with the right people, Nathan. Nathan's a spiritual man. It's a good thing to think on spiritual things with other spiritual people. That's a lot of why God gathers his church together. You wonder why. Why do we come together? Why would God call us out of our own homes, out of work, you know, coming straight from work? Why would he bring us from, from Wendy's? And why would, he, why would he gather the church together so that we can think about spiritual things to hang out with spiritual people? Those two things, you, you set your heart on those types of, that, those two things in your life, you will grow. Hanging out with spiritual people, talking about the things of God. Because the opposite is not spiritually healthy. Thinking about worldly things, hanging out with people that don't care about God. How will that help you and me grow in the things of God? It won't. And I'll tell you something I say this both as a dis- discouraging testimony, but also as an observer and as a pastor. Because I've seen this time and time and time again. It is a repeatable story. I could write it out word for word, seal it in an envelope, put it in my desk, and for some people, I can pull it out and say, I saw this in your life before you ever did. I warned you about it. I've seen it too much. And it's very discouraging to me and avoidable. I've seen it in our church time and time again. As I'm sharing this with you, there are names and faces passing through my mind as I was putting my notes together. I can point to this over and over again. Oftentimes it's with the young adults. That transitionary, that transitory time between high school and trying to find your way in the things of God. You you might have been raised in a godly home or you got saved as a young adult. And primarily this is young adults, but it's not just young adults that this happens to. And this this is what I see. I see a growing, strong believer, hungry for the things of God, A radical transition, turning their backs on the things of the world. They have a testimony, even so young in their life. And they dedicate themselves to the things of God. And they find themselves in a church like ours. Hungry for the word, taking notes, page after page. Singing the songs. Hanging out with spiritual people. Plugging in, serving. Their gifts are being used. And as they're hungry for the things of God, they meet somebody here at church. They meet somebody in the course of their time uh, connecting with someone at church. But unfortunately, they met someone that's not so spiritually minded. They met somebody that's not so into the things of God. They met somebody that really isn't into the Word of God. They're into other things. They're into the gray area of life. And through that connection, it didn't take long for that relationship to sap them of their spiritual desire. And you don't see them so much anymore. Instead, you see them on their Instagram or on their, you know, they're out doing other things but not seeking the Lord. They're not talking about the things of the Lord. They're not seeking the Lord. They're not even hanging out anymore with people that will take them to that. And and it's it's just just so discouraging. This is what the Bible says. And I warn all of us. It's not just a young adult thing. But but it is for those that have time, those that have extra time, you know, those that have time on their hands and they want to grow in the things of God and they want to seek the Lord, but they hook up with somebody or connect with somebody that isn't taking them toward the things of God and their witness is weakened and they're not, they're not talking about the things of God anymore. They're not in the things. Of, and before you know it, they're backslidden. They disappear. They're, they're out into the world again. Oh, it may not be as bad as it was yet, but that's where they're headed. They go, well, it's not that big a deal. I'm not sinning, you know, I'm not sinning anymore. And and that may be the case. You may not be sinning, but you're not so excited anymore. That's a bummer. You're not talking about the things of the Lord anymore. That's a bummer. your prayer life is, is not what it used to be. That's a bummer. Why? Well, because you're not spending your spare time thinking about the things of the Lord, meditating on the word, and hanging out with people that are doing the same thing. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, don't be deceived evil company corrupts good habits. That's what the Bible says. The New Living Translation says this. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Here's what the New Century version says. Don't be fooled, bad friends will ruin good habits. Psalm 119 verse 63 says, I'm a companion of all who fear you and those who keep your precepts. You see, you can be unequally yoked, believer and unbeliever, that's obvious. But you can also be unequally yoked believer and a believer that doesn't really care. Or a believer that's backslidden. Or a believer just wants to use you. And sometimes it's in relationships. You know, male and female relationships. It's in dating relationships. Where you get connected with a person. And let me just say, you got to get connected with a person. You single people, as you're waiting on the Lord, you're waiting for God to bring about that right relationship. This is the person. I'm telling you exactly who it is. And some of you are like, man, I came to church praying about that. He's going to tell me. Who it is? I've got the name. We're going to put the picture up. No, let me tell you who it is. Let me tell you who it is. The man that you're going to marry and the woman that you're going to marry, this is is the person. You ready? They will love God more than they love you. That's the person. I don't know what they look like. I don't know what their name is. But if you're connected with someone that's more into you than into God, that's bad news. If you're with someone that isn't taking you to the Lord, that's bad news. If you're with someone that doesn't want to talk about the things of the Lord, that's bad news. You go, Ed, come on. No, this is what the Bible says. Don't be fooled. Bad company corrupts good character. And you will be responsible for the decisions that you make. And it happens in friendships, and it happens in relationships, and it happens, I've seen it time and time again, it is the trap of the enemy. You have to keep your eyes on the Lord. It is not the Lord's will for you not to hang out with Nathan talking about building something for God. Hang out with the Nathans, find the, you be a Nathan. And hang out with those that are talking about the things of God. So here's David spending time with Nathan, his buddy, his prophet. Thinking about what he can do for God. God's been so gracious to him. And verse 3, Nathan says, just do it. Just do it. Now Mark verse 3, just on a side note. Nathan's a man of God. He loves the Lord. But he just gave David bad counsel. This counsel is not from the Lord. Sounds good. But there's no mention of Nathan asking God for confirmation. And it's not, it's not good. It's not bad counsel in the sense that he's telling them to do something bad. But God is going to correct Nathan. I like that. Even when you know, we, get, we have good friends that love the Lord, they might give us a word, but they might be wrong. The Lord can correct it. He's going to do that with Nathan where he says in verse 4, but it happened that night. That was fast. <laughs> it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Okay. It's good. What did God have to say? Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I've moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle in all the places where I've walked with the children of Israel. Have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel who I've commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be the ruler of my people over Israel. And, verse 9, I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I'll appoint a place for my people, Israel, and I'll plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, and no, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be, my, be over my people, Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, and the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, you will rest with your fathers, and I'll set up your seat after you, who will come from your body, and I'll establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I'll chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. What did Nathan tell David? You go do all that's in your heart. Was that from the Lord? Yes or no? No, but it was good to hear. (laughs) You want a Nathan around? Uh, Nathan didn't make a huge mistake, but the mistake that he made, God corrected it. And it's so cruel what God told Nathan. It's so encouraging. God had an answer to David's desire. He had an answer. God decides to use Nathan to deliver it. Now, it's interesting because Nathan said earlier, yes, David, go for it. Do what's on your heart. It's great. Go for it. Do it. But as you read, the answer from God to David's heart was, no. No. You will not build me a house. You won't do it. What does that leave us? Nathan, well, he gave wrong counsel. He gave wrong counsel. And that reminds us that the counsel of man isn't always accurate. Even if it sounds right, we just need to stay open to the Holy Spirit. Pastors can be wrong. Men of God can be wrong. Godly women can be wrong. We're just men. We're just women. We're not perfect. We could get caught up in the moment. We can lean on our own understanding. We can be wrong. We're all fallible. Do you realize how fallible you are? Well, we're all fallible. We make mistakes. David's desire to build was a good thing. It was a biblical thing. Nathan's encouragement is what a good friend would do. Yeah, that's awesome. Do something for God. Yet it wasn't from the Lord. It was David's desire, not God's. And guys, it's important that we bathe our ideas and desires in prayer. It's important that we do that. We need to present all of our ideas and thoughts and plans before the Lord to make sure that they're a part of his plan. And it's is our brother Keegan was, we were talking earlier today and he was sharing something. He was, was very insightful. He's, you know, in, Pro, in Proverbs chapter three, in verse five, it says to trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. But the very next verse is, acknowledge him in all your ways. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your paths. So while this is all good and it's headed in the trajectory of the Lord, they failed to acknowledge him in all their ways. And God corrected it. I'm so thankful for that. And what does God do? He tells Nathan, "You got to go back and give him a message." And in verses four through nine, he says, "Just da- he's te- he wants David. Just remember who you are, David. You're a shepherd. You're a good one. That's where I found you. That's why I called you. You're a shepherd. You're not a builder. You're a shepherd." And then in verses nine through eleven, he tells David, "I've been with you. I- I'm with you now. I'll point out a place for my people. I'll take care of my people." I'll point out the right place. I'll make you a house. I'll make you a house, verse 11, remember? And, and the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. That is both literally for the, for the temple, for a place of worship, but also to establish, this, the idea of house is to establish, David. I will make you, David. I'll make you the man. You will be strong. I'll make you, and I'll make you the house. I'll take care of it for you. As great as a desire that you have, God tells David, I have a desire to bless you. You want to bless me, but I want to bless you. I'm going to take care of it for you. And then he says in verses 12 through 17, you're going to have a son. He's going to come from you. He's going to build it. And we know that to be later on in scriptures. We know that's Solomon. That David was then able to prepare everything for Solomon to build the temple. But also he's speaking prophetically to David. David. As you notice back down in verse 16, your house, your kingdom shall be established forever before you, your throne. This is a prophetic word of coming Messiah that who? Will come through David. David, you, you're sitting around talking with Nathan, talking about the things, you know, you talk, you're thinking about me, praying about to me, and you want to do something great. But you know what? All that's in your heart, David, my heart is deeper. It's much more deeper with the blessing in that the nature of God to bless and to give and to be patient, to be loving and caring. And it, so it's like, you go tell David, as much as he wants to bless me, I am going to bless him. That's why I've chosen him. I'm going to take care of him. And he's not going to build. God knows ahead of time the life of David. God knows ahead of time he's going to be a man of blood, a man of war. He's not gonna, those hands are not going to build the temple unto God. Solomon's going to do that. But he's so encouraging. That's how God deals with his kids, you know. Uh, don't miss this. You have to understand, what we just read and summarized is a rebuke of some. David, you want to build a house, you're not going to build it. No. He has to say no. How many times have we had to deliver hard news? It's not easy. That's why they call it hard news. It's hard. you got to deliver hard news. No. Nathan said you could do it. You're feeling all good, but no. No, that isn't. Any spiritual leader understands that delivering hard news is part of the package. It's part of God's will for our lives as leaders, pastors, servants.
0: Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace and part of Ed Taylor's new study of Second Samuel. Request a CD copy when you give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or go online to CalvaryAurora.org. Again, we're at CalvaryAurora.org. Ed, today you reminded us that sometimes people will give us wrong counsel. So during those times when we're in need of counsel, what are some ways we can discern the good from the bad? Well, Larry, I have to say
1: the times when we need counsel are usually the times of great crisis and when we're most vulnerable. So to be able to discern between good and bad is really important. You know, number one is the counsel that's given, does it match up with the Word of God? And I don't mean that some scripture was used. For example, you know, really bad decisions have been made because someone says, well, if you have a peace about it and, you know, you can have a peace, you can have a settled, your mind can be settled to do something really bad and you can have a peace to sin. Uh, you know, I was talking to someone recently and, and uh, the person was uh, just in the midst of a very difficult marriage situation. It was pretty obvious that they needed to repent and come back To focus on their marriage, and when I had the chance to ask, after it all laid out, I said, what are you going to do? And the answer was, I'm going to pray about it. And then I said, why are you praying about something that you already know what to do? So match it by the Word of God, and be careful that just because somebody uses the Scriptures, it could be easily taken out of context, and remember, not only is it going to match up with the Word of God, but have those go-to people in your life that are just known as godly, uh, a pastor an elder, a leader that that can help you process things and then wait on the Lord as he renews your strength and be ever so careful for bad counsel.
0: Thanks for that, Pastor Ed. Wouldn't you like to experience revival and power in your life? Well, we picked out an excellent book this month that can help you get on that road. It's The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. This classic book has helped millions experience personal revival with Jesus Christ. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of the Calvary Road. Give us a call at 877 30 Grace or make a secure donation online at calvaryaurora.org. And those that prefer to write, here's our mailing address Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460598, Aurora, Colorado 80046. Glad you've taken time out for our study in the Word. Join Pastor Ed Taylor all week long as we continue to learn how to live by God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace.